defends from dummy half. It's with the halfback, William. Williams goes himself, comes out the other side, gets it to Croker, bounces away from a would-be from De Goyce, puts a kick out wide, looking for Shander Earl, and Earl is in again. Oh, stop it, it's starting to hurt. Rugby League. Rugby League. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Supercoach Playbook podcast. I'm your host, Tim Williams. Here to chat through the postponed NRL season with me is the Supercoach Spy. Spy, how are we, mate? G'day, mate. Um, yeah, holding on all right, actually. Um, just surviving the current crazy world. Um, and as usual, ready to chat some footy with you, buddy. Yeah, nice, mate. I know... Last last week we spoke, and to get through this uh, really awkward period of no sport, you watched. Uh, you've been watching famous sporting clips. A couple of weeks ago, it was a famous Michael Jordan game for the Bulls. Uh, this week, it was was it Muhammad Ali versus Smoking Joe Fraser. It was Ali Foreman this week, an absolute belter. Uh, Muhammad at his absolute best, and yeah, probably Foreman. Uh, sorry, the big fella. Thriller in Manila coming up, so looking forward to it. It's been pretty good sporting history, mate. Did Muhammad look in form? Mate, he's just, he's the king. Muhammad, he'd come back from semi-retirement and dusted the young foreman up effortlessly. Absolute clinic. Hopefully not too spoilers there for anyone who hasn't seen the fight from 45 years ago. But, <laughs> mate, um, guys, if you have any content ideas for us over the next couple of months, we've got a few things of our own that we're going to get into, looking at uh, plenty more famous supercoach matches, picking our best supercoach teams of all time, et cetera, et cetera. If you do have any ideas for us, hit us up on our socials on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at SC Playbook One. Uh, let's get into it, Spy. I'm going to start with a question for you. Yep. Um, provided we do get a shortened season, which does look more and more likely as as things come along, um, is there a chance that some players are going to opt not to play in this shortened season, or how will this affect super coach individuals in particular? Yeah, I've been having a think about this throughout the week, mate. Um, and it just occurred to me that it's possible some guys opt not to play. Certainly not saying this is definitely going to happen or anything like that, but there's the chance that if you've got family matters at home that are that are quite important, whether it's an emergency or a new baby, or I'm not exactly sure, but for certain reasons, players may opt to, to not go into that bubble given certain the limitations that may be incurred on it. Now, we already saw a couple of the Warriors players go home after round one because they had new babies and the like. So I was just sort of thinking that it is possible that it happens. Um, there's obviously implications in regards to pay and leave and all the rest, but you could have compassionate compassionate leave potentially going around. Uh, the other option I was thinking about is whether or not players may opt to leave that bubble. Say they've played a couple of games and something happens at home, you know, you can't keep a bloke there if it's a, a really important family matter. So it is possible. Um, and obviously, super coach wise that means you'd have the same situation as a player being injured. They wouldn't be in your team anymore. For me personally, I don't think it's any different to an injury from super coach point of view because obviously you can't bank on an injury. It's unlucky. You hate when it happens, but it's just one of those things. But I'd be interested to get your thoughts. I personally don't think it's overly likely but it probably wouldn't shock me if just a couple of guys do need to sit out the comp at certain certain stages. It'd be interesting to see what the NRL do around that. Uh, what are your thoughts, mate? Yeah, look, I think it's definitely going to be circumstances where players are going to have to sit out of this bubble. Um, the, the main idea that's been pitched so far is to have a two-conference system where uh, the Sydney, the eight Sydney clubs, or eight of the Sydney clubs, stay in and around sort of Olympic Park, or it might be Penland or somewhere like that, and play their games. The Dragons being 
technically based in Wollongong. We'd probably join the other conference up in Queensland somewhere. It's expected should this go ahead. Um, <clears throat> I think there's definitely going to be players who aren't going to be able to go into that bubble for several weeks. I look at guys like Jermaine Asako, who has um, an ill father at the moment. Um, guys like him, you know, guys who are having uh, newborn children in their family, they're not going to miss the birth of their child. Clubs aren't going to expect them to miss the birth of their child to be in this situation. So they might miss around to be there for that. And then on return to the bubble, if it goes for a month or two months, whatever it might be, they're going to have a 14-day isolation period, you'd think, if things continue along the way they are. So, But I do like your point of saying, A, there's no way we can plan for it. And basically, it's no different to an injury, is it? You don't know who these players are really going to be. So there's no use complaining about it. Yeah, that's it. Um, look, at the end of the day, if, if these situations happen, it is just part of the, the madness that is 2020. So we'll just deal with it when it comes and hope all the gun players or cheapies in our own sides uh, opt to play on, mate. Absolutely, mate. Uh, later on in the episode, I have had a, a good chat with Bulldogs lock forward Adam Elliott, who'd had a good start to the year. Uh, he talked to me about a lot of things, including a bit of a tiff with an 18-year-old John Bateman when uh, the Pommy schoolboys came out to play the Australian schoolboys back in, I think it was 2012. Ads was the captain of that side. So really good chat there. So wait for that later on in the show. Um, that'd, the that'd, be a, that'd be unlike Johnny Bateman to get in a bit of a tussle there, mate. <laughs> He'll get into it later, obviously, but they talked about the second game they played and the film wasn't be, wasn't able to be used afterwards because the blues they had were too big and it was just pommy grubs. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, John Bateman, <laughs> good, Woody. Uh, so, um this week, we're getting into four more teams analysis. We're doing four four a week. We're going to do our second week of that. We'll do that for a month, and then we'll uh, reassess from there. But starting this week is the Melbourne Storm, and your man of the preseason, Ryan Pappenhausen, hasn't quite hit the ground running yet, averaging 54 points per game. He does have 34 base per, per game. It's a ridiculous amount of runs. What are your early season thoughts on him and – do you still see him potentially threatening the likes of Teddy Turbo and Ponga as a top two option by end of the year, or have you gone cold on that? I definitely haven't gone cold, cold on my boy, my boy Pap. Um, it was a bit disappointing because the opening two rounds had the first game in round one at Brookvale in a very tough defensive encounter, pretty wet and windy conditions as well. So it was always going to be hard to score. And he still knocked out 60. He just does what he does in a very low-scoring game. And then the second week was a, a bit of a similar type matchup. Not a lot of open spaces or anything. And he still, I don't know exactly what he scored, but look, he's still getting up around that 60 mark without doing a thing. Uh, he almost scored a couple of tries in those games as well. Didn't quite go his way, but I fully expect him just to get better and better as the season goes on. I'm not worried at all. Happy I picked him, but I would really hope that that sort of 100 plus, 120 plus score comes sooner rather than later, just to give me some some stuff to work with mate but i love pappy and just get him back on the field and let him do his things your thoughts can you see him become to fullbacks or not this season i think it's possible um i'm not gonna i'd never bank against tommy and teddy they're they're the superstar elite elite for a reason but to be honest i think it's possible um again i wouldn't have my money on him to do it but it's a chance he goes gangbusters again and just and just blitzes it, depending how Melbourne go, which should be good, as they normally do. Yeah, Michael, much the same. I don't think he'll be in Teddy or Turbo's class this year. 
I think more 2021, we could see him becoming the absolute elite fullback if they are more in the top couple. But when, when Teddy and Turbo are so far ahead of almost the rest of the competition, give or take, maybe Taumalolo and Payne Haas, uh, it is a long way to go for him for a bloke who's only in his second season. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of a shame that Pabnowski didn't go a bit bigger the first two rounds so that he could hit that 6 650 k mark to be an upgrade to Teddy or Turbo, who will drop a bit in on resumption, um, yeah. but it is what it is. Uh, next at the Melbourne Storm is Cam Munster, a bloke you started with. He has dropped early on with 41 points per game. He is averaging 33 in base, though, which is very promising, but his break-even is 116. Will you be holding or selling when they're coming? Yeah, I'll be holding, mate. Um, as I just, just discussed on the previous guy with Pappy, the first two games for Melbourne have been pretty tough. Defensive encounters, um, not really great for Supercoach scoring. And Munster's still averaging 40-odd without doing a thing. Uh, he made a bunch of errors in the first game as well, uncharacteristically. So the reason I got Munster in was to hold him for the year and hope that he can do his thing. And then I take advantage of those big 100, 150-plus scores when they come along. Um, it's an average for a reason at the end of the day. I want him to be average. Averaging big scores across the whole season and a two-game sample doesn't worry me too much. But in saying that, if he keeps scoring 30s, then price may become a concern, but I'll keep my faith in him. It's a really fun with guys like Cam Munster and these Origin players because we don't know what the Origin format is going to be on res- on return to the season, whether they play it at the end of the season, at the start of the season, uh, whether they play it on say, your Wednesday nights, in between rounds, we figure we're not going to have these buy rounds anymore. If they do play them on a general Wednesday night, say throughout, yeah, throughout the middle of the season, as it normally does, guys like Cam Munster, you'd have to think you're going to get rested. So then if we've got, say, a 20-game season, which is correct abbreviated, and then you've got guys like Munster missing maybe two or three games because they're not going to be expected to play two games in a week or three games in a week potentially it would be, um, you've got to be looking at selling, reassessing, but on all your Origin players. But I mean, we're not really going to know until we see what they do with Origin. Yeah, on that, that'd literally be a, a player as it is, as it comes situation. I mean, I could hold Munster in that instance up until the week before Origin. And if I knew he was going to get rested a heap or not play much over the the coming month, I could then trade him in for for someone else after say ten ten rounds or eight rounds, whatever it may be. But not something I'm going to worry about at the moment. And if Origin does go to, say, the end of the year, then he becomes an even more valuable commodity. So it could go either way. Yeah, if they were to play it sort of three weeks in a row at the end of the season, or I can't see them doing it before the season starts, although it has been floated and let about a little bit to launch, relaunch the season, um, it'd make life a lot easier for Supercoach. So, anyway, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Jerome Hughes was... A bit of a hype buy after round one. Scored 82 in that real tough opening round match for the Storm. Had a couple of tries. Bounced back with only, oh, sorry, regressed to a 23 in the second round. You were really keen on Jerome Hughes. You didn't buy him. Can he even keep a status this year? Or is he not? Is he a couple of notches below the Moses and your SJs and these sort of blokes? Yeah, I think he's probably a couple of notches below. The reason I was partly keen to start with him was just to try and get out of the blocks with a little point of difference, knowing that Melbourne always start the season well. Uh, after round one, I was kicking myself that I didn't have him, but then he regressed back, as you mentioned, in round two. He's an interesting guy because he's, he's a really talented footballer. Um, 
We probably don't know his exact best position, but when he's playing for Melbourne and he's in the starting side, he's certainly got points in him. So, look, he's one of those guys. I wouldn't hate it if I owned him. If I if I owned him at the moment, I'd hold for now and see how he goes. But I don't think he's a long-term keeper, but maybe just a good springboard to someone else if he can uh, get off to a, a pretty good start. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> me, Jerome Hughes. Cam Smith is just doing what Cam Smith does. 70 points per game to start the season. Uh, I think he's got 70 in both rounds. Uh, it's a tough one hooking scenario because if we do have less games this year, naturally we're going to have less time to build our salary caps and we're not going to be able to have every gun in the game as we may have in past years. Do you see, assuming Damien Cook's still the number one hooker despite a slow start to the year, is everyone still going to own Cameron Smith by the end of the year as the second hooking option or... Will it be a case of holding up your who could average 65, 70? What do you reckon? I think there's it'd be very difficult to get Cook and Smith in, unless you've already got them, of course, um, especially with blokes like Appy playing some good footy, potentially Harry Grant playing some really good footy as well. I will make one point. It wouldn't shock me if Cam Smith is the best hooker by the end of this year. Um, he wasn't far off it last year, and as you said, he just does everything for Melbourne. He also goal kicks... And the way he plays his game, it doesn't matter how old he is, mate. He could be 50 and still be racking up the super coach points. So with the way Cook started, if he doesn't start running the ball quick, smart, Smith's going to blow him out of the water. So it'll be interesting watch there um, to see who ends up the number one hooker. But in answer to your previous question, probably difficult to own both guys, but it all, all depends how you set up your side as well. You might sacrifice elsewhere to get two gun hookers. you just got to decide that as the season goes on. If you're a betting man and you are... Would you yep. be backing Cam Smith or Damien Cook to have a higher average by season's end? If I'm getting even money odds for both, mate, I'll take a little fire. I reckon Smithy outdoes him this year. Maybe, maybe not by heaps, but he'll beat him on average. Yeah. Um, look, I can still see him being a priority for me. I think if, if Appy Coruscant can get to five, 600K, which I mean, he looks almost certain to get to 500K after his start to the year, I'm not sure he can keep up those numbers, although he has been impressive, but I think an Apicoris out of Cam Smith trade, um, which could potentially cost you 50K max, um, I'll be looking to do very quickly. But again, it's hard to say. Moving on to the Canberra Raiders, we'll start with the the wingers there. Nick Kotrick is a guy I was really keen on in the preseason. I didn't quite go with him because his base stats weren't quite there. Uh, And obviously Bailey Simonson, who was probably, he was another popular purchase throughout or for round one. Kotrick's come out and had 56 points per game. This has really flown under the radar for a lot of super coaches and the NRL in general. He has a break even of negative two. He hasn't scored a try yet. He has 23 tackle busts in the opening two rounds. He had 16 tackle busts against the Warriors. What do you reckon? Yeah, he had 16 tackle busts in nine runs, which is ridiculous. But um, again, that comes back to his work rate. I'd always be a little bit concerned about how many times he's running the footy. If you knew it was going to be some like Jesse Ramian territory of 17, 18 runs a game, then he'd be in your side for sure. But until he starts demonstrating that, he's probably not for me. Although if you started, you'd be pretty happy and you can see where things go. Um, A point I want to make about the Raiders outside backs, particularly their wingers, is that they have two guys in the halves that love to run the footy, not hugely dominant passes. And then you add in Chansey at fullback. He's such a good runner of the footy, but he showed all last season and start this year that he's not really that ball-playing style of fullback. 
And to me, this really, really hurts the Raiders' wingers because they don't get those easy tries on the edge when the fullback sucked in three-on-two overlap and they throw the cut ball. A lot of the Raiders' tries come in different ways through Hodgson in the middle as well. So even looking at someone like Geordie Rapana last year, he regressed a lot under this style of footy. And I think he'd be very wary of the Raiders' wingers. And for me, someone like Simmonson and even Kotrick, there's just better options out there for me. Again, if you do own them, certainly don't panic buy by any means. Panic sell, should I say. Uh, although you could probably look at moving Simmonson on now uh, because I just think that style of footy is not conducive to super coach points at the Raiders for their wingers. Yeah, it's a really good shout. And on that, when you've got four running halves like Jacko and George Williams, who we'll get to in a moment, you, your back rows come into play a lot more, don't they? Because they're taking on the line over and over and over again. And when they're busting tackles and getting that arm free, it's guys like Elliot Whitehead, it'll be John Bateman on the turn. <laughs> who are going yeah. to the beneficiaries and jag these attacks. We've already seen Elliot Whitehead. I think he crossed in both games. Um, the back rows, I think, become awesome options. And your wingers, yeah, it is a bit of a worry. However, I do like Kotrick. As I said, 56 average, negative break even, busting tackles for fun. Um, he's one for me that I will be eyeing off closely on return. I think he'll be a keeper by end of season. But if you can get his average up to early 50s, there's a fair bit of coin to be made there. He's only 364K. On to the halves. George Williams will be popular. He was popular after round one, uh, after a 58 in the season opener. That was against the Titans. Um, he's down to – didn't go too well against the Warriors, but held his own. Looks good in the actual NRL against probably what's not exactly the benchmark of the NRL in what the Raiders have faced so far. 29 base per game, solid enough for a half. <laughs> Do you want George Williams or not? Yeah, look, I think supercoach-wise, he'll be okay. Um, he's not going to hurt you too badly, but I just don't know how good his upside will be. Um, again, he'll he'll run the footy a bit. I don't know how many tries he's going to have, given his style of play. He may have more as the season goes on, but for me, I think if you started with him, you're stoked, you take his cash and then um, bank that later on and upgrade. But I don't own him yet, and to be honest, there's probably bigger priorities around the comp for me at this stage. So I'm probably happy to steer clear. Yeah, um, I touched on a couple of weeks ago, but I've got sort of I've got SJ, Cleary, um, Lou, Lou at Penrith, um, and who's my other one? Oh, and Billy Walters in my half. So I don't want to move any of them on. If you did have a half who was struggling, I can see merit in George Williams, but for him and Jack Whiten, it's completely jaw-dependent for me. If they continue to have this nice early season run, you'd be tempted, but... You've got to see how, how the draw ends up on resumption to the competition. And if the Raiders do have a few easy games, if they end up in that conference up in Queensland and play against the Cowboys, maybe another game against the Titans soon, I think that presses their case big time. But for now, I do think there's better options on the market. I'm not going to waste too much time on Jack White. And I absolutely love the bloke. He will be a super coach improver this year, but scored 91 in round one against the Titans just making a mockery of Ash Taylor and Bryce Cartwright there in the Titans' edge. Popular buy after that. We warned everyone off him because he's never been super coach relevant at all and scored 19 in round two. Mate, thoughts there? Definitely not. Um, if you own him, maybe play him one more game and see if you can make some cash. But Jackie's a no for me. Great, as you said, great NRL player, but super coach-wise just doesn't always translate. Far too inconsistent. 
Yeah, he's not in the class of your Moses Cleary, SJs and these guys, and I don't think he ever will be um, outside of the very, very off chance that he starts kicking goals, which won't happen. Um, the Raiders forwards are an interesting one on return to the comp because John Bateman will be back and fully fit. This will impact Joe Tappanay, Corey Horsberg, Emre Gula, uh, you know, Josh Papali, who is had he's averaging 54 to start the season and only 48 minutes. The other thing I want to touch on is if they do end up in Queensland, potentially as far north as somewhere like Gladstone or Townsville, guys from like Canberra and Melbourne, et cetera, these southern NRL clubs, it's going to be a big change for them going up to play in those temperatures. So guys like Papali might be playing lesser minutes um, when it returns. What do you reckon, basically on the entire Raiders forward pack and how that'll change when it starts up again? Yeah, Johnny will come straight back in and play his 80 minutes, you'd imagine, um, even after two weeks maybe. But I think there's big concern around those Raiders players. It'll be interesting to see how the rotation unfolds. The one player of interest is Emre Gula. Uh, the reason I say that is because his break-even is so low. I'll just check now. His break-even's minus 70. So even if he scores 40 points next match, he makes 85 grand. So the problem is I don't want to bring him in, though, and then waste a trade if he ends up playing 30 minutes or 25 minutes or something like that. But the money, the potential to make a little bit of fast coin there is real. So you could check out the uh, you check out the draw and – sorry, you t- check out the team lineup uh, for the Raiders when they come back. There is a little bit of interesting goal, but I think it could, could be a huge trap. Corey Horsburgh, I think he'll still get pretty good minutes, um, but I think they will – they'll drop a little bit. So he'll probably end up making you some coins still. Um, and then you can trade him in once once he peaks in value there. But you'd be disappointed because he was off to such a fire, playing big minutes, big involvement rate. So it'll be just very interesting to see how he goes because he has been a real one of the best for the Raiders, I think, in the first few weeks. Um, but I think uh, above everything, Johnny Bateman's going to eat into all those guys' minutes and you'd be very wary, certainly, if you're looking to buy them. Yeah, absolutely. It will be interesting. Um, Gula looks like a bit of a trap to me because the 94 points he scored in round one, he had a try, a line break, a line break assist, a try assist. He just went bonkers. He's the bloke who's going to lose big minutes for mine. But fortunately, we do have a few Raiders contacts here at, uh, at SC Playbook. So when the comp does resume, we will find out much as we can about the minutes of all those players so we have a fair idea and the big one will be Emre Gula and what is expected there so hopefully we can get a decent insight there might be able to get um, Sammy Williams or, or Jared Coken onto the show that week um, the beauty of it is with Tappanay and Horsburgh they have had decent starts to the year and have low break even so hopefully they can make a little bit of money for us even if they do drop minutes pretty quickly so we'll see how that goes moving on to the Dragons and we'll with the most popular cheap in the game, or just about, uh, Braden Villiami, Villiami, I think it's pronounced. 33 points per game average thus far. What are your thoughts on him, Spy? Yeah, I started with him. Um, he's looked okay without being fantastic. He he does tend to support play pretty well. He almost scored the match winner against the Tigers in round one, and the pass from Frizzell hit him in the feet. That was great to watch when he was playing in my side. <laughs> um, and then round two, he did score a try against Penrith. Again, I think that was backing up. So there's a little bit of potential there to make you some coin. Um, he'll just be one of those cheapies that makes me money, and then I'll cash him in as soon as I need to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wouldn't 
in my team at all. I, I'm obviously an owner as well. Most of us are. Um, but just that Dragons outfit, they've been they've been very messy the first two weeks. I know they put up a few points against the Panthers, but still unconvincing for mine. Um, Zach Lomax, we both owned to start the season. You sold after round one when he got shifted to the wing for Matt Dufty. I held. He's now, I think he scored back to back fives maybe. So he's averaging 55 a game. Has a negative 11 break even. How do you sit on selling him? It, it certainly wasn't a dumb move by any means at the time, but now that he does have that negative break even, is it a little bit frustrating? No, it definitely is, especially when old mate from Saints was just about to crush over for a try and he decided to, to tip one on to Lomax just for a friendly little four-pointer. That was pretty annoying. <laughs> but, um, look, I just think... Lomax is a great goal kicker, as we saw in round two against Penrith, but I can't see Saints scoring that many tries too often. He does run the ball a little bit, but again, I just don't know where the super coach points come from long term. He'll score a few tries off Benny Hunt, Benny Hunt cutout balls. He's pretty good at that. But at the moment, if you own him, you just, again, you take his cash, and as soon as you need to sell him or you think he's not going to be involved much or his price has peaked, which might not be in too long, it honestly might be in a couple of weeks, and you can move him on for a little bit of coin, but he's not going to hurt you too much with that negative break even, at least in the short term. Yeah. I mean, look, it wouldn't shock me to see him starting at fullback when the comp does start up again, but Matt Dufty went okay there in that game. As we said, the Dragons did put on the points against Penrith, so probably not, but again, it wouldn't surprise. Um, I, I'm just praying as a bloke who did hold Lomax that if he can bust out a 70 or an 80 with a couple of tries and a, and a few goals, when the comp starts up, that'll sit in his rolling average and he should make that easy 100K at least. But alternatively, he could get no ball on the wing, score 11 points, and then he'll be a sell that following week. So we'll see how it plays out. Zach Lomax, if you own, obviously hold. If you don't, don't blame. Yeah, I hope he punches out a couple of 15s. That'd be beautiful. Yeah, well, big impact with Cam McGuinness, who will be fit and flying, ready to come back. We know he'll play a bit of time in the back row uh, when Isaac Luke comes onto the field, look, there's every chance that Jack DeBella might be back when the comp starts up again. We don't know how long that's going to be, so I say that very speculatively, but we know Cam McGuinness will be back. This is going to have a massive impact on Fui Maono, Host, Laurie, Merrin, uh, Paul Vaughan, who's a guy who I was pretty keen on to start the year and has a, had a decent start thus far. Um, what are your thoughts on these guys, particularly the Chiefs, such as Host and Fui Maono? Yeah, they're a bit similar to Emre Gore at Canberra. There's a big risk they're going to be traps and not get many minutes. Um, if Fuimayano gets named to start in the back row when the footy comes back, there's obviously a lot of potential there for him. But if he's on the bench or anything like that, there's big risk. You've got, as you said, Jackie DeBellin potentially returns. We'll know come, we'll know come round three what the situation there is. So, so that'll be something. But... When McInnes comes back, he might play a little bit of back row as well. So there's potentially up to 100-plus minutes to go around there for guys not currently playing. And also round two, I can't remember who it was, one of the Sims brothers didn't play either. So it smells of trap to me. I think I'd be waiting for team lists for the next round of footy before I made any real key decisions. But uh, big traps potentially, mate. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. We will see the team list and know the DeBellin news, but or hopefully know DeBellin news by then. Um, but all traps for me. I wouldn't be going near, anywhere near any Dragons forward. So McGuinness, who um, he won't have any price rise for a few weeks because he did miss the opening weeks of the year. Uh, moving on to the Gold Coast Titans, the last for this week, 
Callum Watkins, really popular, cheapy, awkwardly priced at 270-odd K. Massive base stats in round one against the Raiders. He's averaging 36, uh, has a break-even of 12, which isn't great. Do you own him, and what are your thoughts on him? No, I don't own him. Um, really difficult to tell for Titans, especially outside backs. Round one, he he had a pretty decent game. Pretty good base stats, as you mentioned. I think he had a line break assist as well and scored okay. But round two was against Parramatta when they got absolutely murdered up there. And the last 30 or so minutes of the game was just watching Mitchie Moses knock him over from the sidelines. So it's hard to read into how well or how badly he did in round two. Certainly if you own him, hold on to... to to him and just just see what happens because potentially he could be a nice little money maker. I'm certainly not going to rush out and buy him because anyone playing for the Titans I'm pretty wary of, especially in the back line. But um, yeah, look, he's fine if you aim at the, aim at the moment. Moment, just see what happens. Yeah, I was talking to him after his massive base stats in round one. I couldn't go near him because I can't bring myself to buy an attacking <laughs> stature line player at the Titans who are just dreadful. Like, Teams playing against the Titans this year, if you have any decent Supercoach players, they're almost a locking captain for mine because players are just going to go huge, um, particularly goal kickers. Uh, Watkins is a no from me, but, yeah, as far as owners ownership go, players that do own him, uh, he's a certain hole. I hope he makes a bit of coin cost for a try or two, but uh, not very appetising. Ash Taylor hasn't looked fantastic in the actual NRL just yet, averaging... Well, sorry, but in Supercoach, he's averaging 51 points per game, has a negative one break even. He's only kicked two goals so far. Um, cheapy around 330k, Spy, thoughts? Look, he's averaged 50-plus in the past. Um, his attack's been okay in the first two weeks. He certainly has a crack at creating things, so that's something. Defence I've spoken out before is diabolical, so I don't know how long he's going to even hold his spot at the Titans. But, look, if you own him, it's a similar situation where you just hope he can crank out a big score and make you some money, which is certainly possible. Um, as I said, he has a go in attack and he's reasonably creative, but I couldn't be purchasing him, uh, even though the upside is potentially there to make some money and score some points on your bench. Gee, it's risky. The Titans, and you don't know if he'll hold his spot. Not for me. Only if you own him already, would you would you hold on? Yeah, I think I think oh, Justin Holbrook will keep him in the side because he knows what the potential is, and the Titans need to score points, which they do struggle to do. Um, and Taylor's the man to do that for them. But because he's playing next to Bryce Cartwright, and the defence is just horrendous, I can see Cartwright being dropped to the bench when the comp restarts because you can't have them two playing together. It's just. Yep. It's just a no-go. It's such an easy target for opposing attacks. Um, Jai Arrow is a really interesting one. We know he could arguably be one of the best players in the game in Supercoach. He got his 80 minutes in round two, only scored 56 points. There were injuries to Dale Copley and Tyrone Roberts, which may have impacted this a little bit. Um, we are surprised by 56 in that time. Uh, what do you reckon? Yeah, it's um, it's very deceptive, that score. Um, as I mentioned previously, it was against the Eels, so most of that second half, there was no footy actually being played. Arrow was making a few tackles, but Titans barely had the ball. He also got shifted to an edge for most of that game, so rather than having his bulk hit-ups, which leads to tackle busts and offloads, he only ended up having eight runs for the whole match. That was very circumstantial and generally probably won't happen again. If he is getting 70, 80 minutes, 
I currently own him and I'll be absolutely stoked. I think he can go absolutely mental. Um, conversely, if they do drop his minutes back, um, looking ahead somewhat to next season when he's off to the bunnies, then that'll be time to moving on. But certainly he's one of those guys that I'm pretty excited about and I really hope he can come through for me when things return. Yeah, he'll be excited of winning big time when the comp does start. Um, few, I, I do think he'll continue to play big minutes because uh, we, we touched on it last week, but injury, uh, sorry, workload isn't going to be an issue in such a sh- what will probably be a shortened comp. Um, so guys like Arrow, who they might manage and play 50 to 60 minutes to make sure they're right to go for the end of the year, it's just not going to be such an issue for them. So I can see him playing his big minutes, but the concern is that when the times looked as bad as they did in the first two rounds, they could have points piled on them every week, and it could be a case of just like, no game time actually being played. No game being played because they're sitting there and there's tries scored and there's kicks at goal. And in that time, some Arrow only has eight runs a game. So that's a fear. But, again, he's still pretty safe. And if he's playing 80 minutes, he will become a must-have. Um, that's it for the four clubs this week. Uh, I had a really good chat with Adam Elliott. He talks about Ads was one of the – actually, he was recorded as the quickest, I think, 12 or 13-year bowler in Australia back in the day, cricketer, obviously. Um, exceptional cricketer. Had to make a bit of a choice between cricket and footy there as a youngster. Um, talks about taking on the pommies and John Bateman as an 18-year-old with the Aussie schoolboys. They were spitting at each other. Well, Adam wasn't spitting, but the poms were spitting. <laughs> it's manic. Um, he goes through a tough 2018 for him with the Canterbury Bulldogs' Mad Monday ordeal. Uh, his hometown of Tarthra got lit up by bushfires in the same year. So it goes through all that, so it's a good listen. So here it is. This week on the Supercoach Playbook podcast, we welcome Bulldogs lock Adam Elliott. Ads, how's isolation treating you, mate? Yeah, it's, um, I suppose it's a little bit different, but everyone's in the same boat at the moment. Um, not much we can really do about it, so I'm just trying to make the most, make, make do with what I've got here. And I'm lucky enough to be up in Darwin at my partner's parents' place, so they've, they've given us the place for 14 days to isolate and quarantine uh, until that period's over. So, you know, they've got a decent property out here with a pool and things like that. So keep myself busy. Perfect, mate. You're laughing. Now, you've been with the Bulldogs for a long time, a lot longer than probably anyone would think. Um, how long have you been with the Dogs for and how did they find you down in Tartha on the far south coast of New South Wales? Yeah, you're right. I think a lot of people speak to me about, you know, when I debuted, and they think, you know, I've been at the Bulldogs since then. But as you know, and the boys from St. Greg's know, it's been a long time. And I remember me and you going to Bulldogs games together when we were actually at boarding school. So it um, yeah, it does peel back a few years now. But I think I was 14 and just played in the um, CHF under-15s New South Wales side. So we had had a pretty good side. Was, Jack Bird was in there, um, Paulie Paulie. Jake Trebojevic, um, Clint Gutherson, you know, there's plenty of boys that are playing in the NRL now. So when I look back, I, I sort of realised that, you know, it probably wasn't such a big coincidence to get picked up. There was a lot of talent in that team and I'm sure there would have been a lot of scouts there. But, um, yeah, from from someone coming from a tiny one-horse town, going for the Bulldogs my whole life, it was a dream come true to sign with them, you know, at the age of 14. And then it was sort of a waiting game, Um yeah, obviously went to boarding school at St Greg's in year te- uh, year eleven. Um, finished school there, and I suppose that's when the journey really kicked in. And I moved to Belmore, and um, yeah, learned a lot from that. Obviously, a bit of a culture change for myself 
going from a little coasty town of 1,500 people to being smack bang um, at Belmore. There's obviously a lot of different um, cultures getting around there that I hadn't really experienced. So for me, it was just a big learning curve. And um, yeah, even even looking back now, I was 17 then, so that's um, eight years ago. So yeah, you're looking at 10 years plus that I've been signed with the dogs. Yeah, nice, mate. And the first time I met you, I think we were about 12 or 13 years old, both playing cricket. I was in Cooma. We were heading down to the South Coast for a game against Far South Coast. You had this reputation of being a gun cricketer of sort of New South Wales, big, fast, angry, fast bowler. So we went down there, a little bit nervous. I remember there were a few blokes who wore three thigh pads that day because so I was scared of facing you. <laughs> you came out at, I'm, I'm going to assume, number 11 because you were, you were a horrendous batsman. I was bowling to you. There'd been a bit of rain. Ball slipped out of my hand, my first ball to you. It was a massive beamer. Nearly cleaned you up. And you just looked up at me after and said, oh, I'm going to kill you. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm like, I do not want to bat today. Anyway, we come back out of the innings after that. The first ball you bowled to me, you just staring me down. I'm this scrawny little bony kid, terrified. You bowled a bounce that's gone about three metres over my head, three metres over the keeper's head to the boundary, and it was, it was the most terrifying next three overs of my life. <laughs> Mate, that's so funny, because I remember it as well. I remember, obviously, um, you know, it's a pretty big uh, rivalry, like Monero and Far South Coast when it comes to cricket. And, um, you know, you, you had a decent reputation of being a good batsman yourself, so when I went out there and you, you threw the beamer at me... <laughs> Sort of just like, all right, this is a this is a good excuse for me to fire up, and um, I, I used to look for things like that in cricket matches because, you know, obviously it's a bit different to footy to sort of to get invested in being aggressive, I guess, and you can sort of get in get caught in the trap of having a chat and you know getting to know people from the other team, and then you have got to go out as a fast bowler and try and intimidate a little bit, but. You set me up easily for that, Timmy. Or, or like you said, an absolutely horrendous batsman. So someone could underarm the ball at me around waist height and I'd shit myself. So if you to roll one over at my head, it was just, um, you put it on a platter for me. And yeah, I remember rolling the arm over in between innings. It was a little bit harder that day. And I don't think that bouncer went anywhere near. I think, um, I don't think the keep was in any danger either. It ended up rolling all the way to the hill. So yeah, good memories. Mate, I nearly retired after that day as a 12-year-old, but anyway. So on that, so you were a gun-quick bowler with a few unofficial New South Wales or Australian speed records, which I don't know if they're true or not to this day or if it's just you telling me how quick you were. Was there ever a decision you had to make between cricket and footy or was it always footy in your eyes? Oh, I suppose formally there was a decision that I had to make, but informally in my own mind, I always knew that I just loved footy. I suppose it was... It was so strange. I absolutely love cricket. Now I genuinely miss it. Summer summer rolls around and it's on the telly, and I genuinely miss it. I get out in the backyard, or I, you know, go down to a local park where there's some nets, and I do just roll the arm over. And I'm absolutely rubbish now. I've got a lot of weight, obviously, around my shoulders and that. And I, I wouldn't be able to bowl my way through a wet paper bag. But just to get out there and relive a few of the memories is great for me. And um. But yeah, as I was saying, it was just such an easy decision for me because I always loved footy. And once the footy season finished, I'd genuinely be upset that I had to play cricket. And it probably took me a few training sessions down at the nets. And I was lucky our Tartra team, most of the blokes that played footy played cricket as well. And um, that sort of got me through. And But once I once I went to St. Greg's, I think, that was the big decision. And I, I did my ACL that year um, that we were all at school together. 
and I knew coming back from that injury, it was a pretty serious injury, and I had to fight with the Bulldogs, so I did have a responsibility to make sure that you know they were my priority and I got my body right for them. Um, and I suppose that was sort of me kissing cricket goodbye, which sucked at the time. Um, but I, I don't regret it. I think you know I'm a bit of a rough nut and always love playing footy. And I suppose the, the relationships that I've had in rugby league. I don't know if it's because I'm still in rugby league now, but they have outlasted the ones that I, I had in cricket. I had a few really good mates, but I think I always was drawn to people that play rugby league. Yeah, nice, mate. And while you were at St. Greg's, you played Aussie schoolboys two years in a row, or you were picked in year 11, but did your ACL, unfortunately. Went through and captained them in 2012 alongside a side that had Mitchie Moses, Luke Brooks, Jai Arrow, Dylan Walker, Matt Lodge, Clint Gutherson, like it was an unbelievable schoolboy side. You took on an England side who came out and played you at Bruce Stadium down in Canberra, which included a young John Bateman who'd played 20-odd games of Super League at the time. Pretty rare experience in your whole lifetime. And what were your, what were your, what do you remember from playing a young John Bateman? Mate, it's crazy. I think, yeah, you, you've probably um, heard a few of the stories, you know, directly after the game, but... He, he obviously had big raps on him, on him and um, coming over. And there's another fella who's played, I think, for England and he's played a lot of Super League since, Ben Curry. So the, the two of them were sort of the big talk for us. And as you said, we had a pretty stacked side. We had a massive forward pack. And I don't think there was anyone that was too intimidated, but we just knew that they had some classy players. And obviously I was captain and, and he was captain. And we've gone to walk out of the tunnel at Bruce Stadium. And, mate... They were just so rough. I think that the England team that comes over is under 19, so they're a year older than us, and I think they were trying to intimidate us a bit, and it was probably the wrong person to try and intimidate. They've they've all just turned on poorly, poorly in the tunnel. And I remember looking world's back, largest mate, human. World's largest bloke. I remember looking back in the tunnel and, you know, obviously trying to, you know, I'm, a, I'm second row myself and captain of the team. I don't want to seem intimidated or scared. But I was just, I was more worried that, like, we weren't even going to make it on the field and play because this was just going to break out into an all-in brawl. And anyway, we sort of kept it under wraps until we got out and sung the anthem and, you know, they're yelling abuse. And, you know, John Bateman, obviously, obviously now we, we understand how good of a footy player he was. Um, but he just always had that cockiness and confidence and he was yelling over to us, you know, during the anthem. And it was a big, big sort of disrespect in a respectful way. I think yeah. it was just, you know, mind games. And after the first set, I um, one of the wingers was bringing the ball back. And me, in typical fashion, didn't take on any of the front rollers. But the first winger I got my hands on, swinging <laughs> arm, I tackled him. And before I got up off the deck, mate, there was 13 blokes from each team throwing them. And I think you're in the crowd there. So that was, um, that was an extremely sort of... Big awakening for me, going like, "Wow, this is footy. This is how much it matters." People, well, when, once you get to this level, people care, and this is what can happen. And then, you know, two weeks later, we played up in Brisbane, um, and that game actually, they, there's no one out there with the footage of that game because they they cut the tape up after because the brawl in that second game because we we tailed them up down in Canberra. I think it was 44 to 10, and then. Um, they obviously fired up. Matt Lodge, I was with him, and he had to get an injection um, before the game. Both of us did. So we're walking in to see the doctor get um, broken bones injected. And you know, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm struggling just thinking about playing the game. And Lodge's just seen about six of the English boys sort of going out to warm up late. And he's just like eyes rolling in his head. 
And, um, you know, from that moment, I knew it was going to be on again up in Brizzy. And, yeah, that, that fight, the second fight, I think it went for about a minute and a half and they nearly called the game off. So um, some pretty extreme experiences. Hey, that was too many lunatics on one field at a time. We'll try and get um, we'll try and get Johnny Bateman on the show in a couple of weeks' time and get his version on of it all because I'd like to hear that as well and hear what he's got to say about you. But mate, it shows you'll be a champion. He's just like coming back from the Super League to play an under 19 international match in Australia, and it's just win at all costs for him, isn't it? He's a hell of a footballer. Spot on, mate. That's and it's the same mentality. I don't, I've only met and played alongside James Graham, but it's the same mentality he has. It wouldn't matter, mate, if he was at a family Christmas playing footy in the backyard. It's like, sweet, like we can play and have a bit of fun, but I'm winning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love that, age. I love that's why the, the Pommy forwards come down and they all kill it. It's good to see. Mate, 2018 was a tough year for you. It started in, in March with your hometown of Tartha being torn apart by bushfires. Uh, mate, how tough was that for you to sit through being in Sydney at the time? And it obviously happened so suddenly, so there wasn't anything you could do about it being up in Sydney. Yeah, it was hard. Um, obviously, my brother James, older brother James, has autism. So mum called me and she was in a bit of a panic. This was maybe the day before the fires broke. Or maybe this might have even been the morning of, um, you know, maybe six or seven hours before the, the fires ripped through town. And she was saying, oh, we're back in the house, are we getting everything right? And I just thought, you know, because of James and obviously with his autism, he needs routine and he needs things um, planned in advance. Otherwise, you know, things can sort of, shit, shit can hit the fan and it's um, you know, a rather unpleasant experience. And I thought, you know, what, well, Mum's just been extra prepared, good on her. She's going to sort of make sure that James is ready if worst case happens, you know, in maybe in a week's time, the fires might get a bit worse. They'll have to go to Bega for a day or something like that. And within the space of a few hours, I got a, a video from mum and it was over our back fence and it was a bush next to our house. Um, had had caught a light and it luckily, mate, the wind had sort of changed. Not luckily, but for my family, the wind had sort of changed and, and it looked like maybe it was going to miss Tartra and it, it roared down, um, sort of down the back of Tartra behind Margarita River. And then, yeah, there was another wind change, mate. And, yeah, I suppose it was, at the time, so hard for me because I was preparing for a game um, in Sydney and, you know, I couldn't leave. And, like, even if I did leave, there wasn't really much I could do. I, I probably would have driven six hours to sit in the car at Beagle with mum and my brother. But um, dad stayed behind with my pop. Um, Pop's gone now. He passed away about a month ago. But him and dad sort of stayed behind. And um, Did your pop didn't want to leave the house, did he? He didn't want to leave the house. No, it was something that he obviously put a lot of work into. And just that era, I think they're just quite stubborn. And, um, you know, he'd been sick for a while. So he sort of said, well, I'm going to stay here. I've been here for this long. I'm not going to leave town. If the fire brings me down, well, then that's then so be it. So dad sort of shooed everyone out and, and he said he'd stay behind. So that was the main worry for me. And I was trying to get constant updates. But then the phone lines were down and the Telstra power had gone down. And, um, yeah, it took a while, but. Dad ended up getting back to me. Mum ended up getting back to me and said that it looks like we're going to be safe. But it went on for, you know, there was one one or two really destructive days, but it went on for probably two weeks of just that constant worry and anxiety around, um, you know, sparks starting up again on a windy, hot day. And, um, mate, the town's like, it's so sad to see, obviously, this stuff we're going through now with the coronavirus because there was businesses so affected by that. And then the 20... 19 fires into 2020 fires so affected by that again 
And it's like this was a time that they could really rebuild. And, and it was great to see the community, the wider community, not just the far south coast, but people from the north coast, people from Sydney and Canberra, travelling to go to different businesses and trying to help out as much as they could. And, you know, now as a country, we're basically, you know, unless we're going to get the groceries, we're stuck at home. So there's a lot of businesses that are just only just kept their head above water during those periods and now they're struggling again. Yeah, unbelievably trying time for everyone and particularly that South Coast. As you said, there was the 2018 bushfires for Tarthara then the 2019 bushfires just a few months ago and now Corona's hit no one can go anywhere. I was meant to go down to Tarthara uh, this weekend for, for the Easter break. Our family goes down every year. Seriously, it is one of the best towns in Australia. So when this all clears itself up and normality returns, get yourself down there. It absolutely rocks. Um, mate, End of 2018, there was the Mad Monday incident at the Bulldogs. Another tough time for you to top off a rough year. Um, how did you get through that? It would have been tough for yourself and probably more so your family. Yeah, it sucked, mate. It was The most disappointing thing was it was probably my breakout year where I'd been um, in and out of the starting side and for probably the, the two previous years. And um, I'd really locked down a position and I felt as though I'd, I'd sort of started to play footy that I was playing um, in those younger years when I was playing Australian schoolboys and I was really confident and I got the the love and um, competitive competitive nature back in myself where I, I knew I could go out there and really have an impact in the game. So for me, like personally, this the season was great and I just bought a house in the area and I, I started to get recognised a lot by a lot of people and um, you know going to the shops obviously had the afro so it was pretty easy to pick and. Um, yeah, obviously it, it sort of got out of hand. I suppose the end of season, and um, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to talk about the actual incident because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that'd say, um, you know, there's been worse things, and you know, there's no women around, there's no children around, there's actually nobody except for security guards around, um, yeah. and the bloke and the bloke that owned the pub who had everything under control, and um, you know, we thought, you know. Once the day finished, we thought this had been one of the more tame sort of sort of Mondays because we just stayed there together. And once once we finished the pub, everyone left together. It wasn't there was no groups putting up and going to nightclubs, and there's no blues. There's no one from outside the team that was there, so there was no way that anything could have really gotten out of hand. But obviously, we didn't realise that there was um, you know photographers perched up from however however far away waiting for something to happen and obviously there was a minute or minute or so that got out of hand and um, a bit of change room banter I guess and you know those blokes I shower next to them every single day so for, for me to them it's not much of a big deal but um, obviously when it's on the front page of the paper that's when it really starts to affect your family and the people that look up to you, the young kids that look up to you, their parents, all the schools that I go and visit, all the, all the different charities I do my autism stuff with you know, it starts to affect them and it reflects poorly upon all of us. And it was just, a, yeah, it was a really tough time for my family, but not tough enough for them to ever abandon me or um, put any blame on me. They was that was so rock solid. Dad drove up straight away. I had him there. I didn't really, I didn't leave the house for about a week. I didn't. Have, I lost seven kilos in a week. Um, luckily, I, I had a lot of support on social media and. Um, you know, once a few days have passed and I could bring myself to sort of read it, I had a few thousand messages there and, you know, I was preparing myself to get absolutely slammed and I've reported, you know, previously that there was one bad message and the rest were just people 
checking up on me, making sure I was all right and thanking me for giving their kids boots after the game or certain things like that. And it really put things into perspective for me. Absolutely, mate. Now, picking a time where, where we are going through such a difficult time as, a, as the wider community at the moment, it does put things into perspective. And, yeah, just to have all that support come through, which is enormous from the rugby league and wider community as well, I mean, I was sort of looking at it as well, thinking this is excellent, you know, it's gone on, what's happened happened, you move on from it, you learn from it, and, and you've done that really admirably ever since. So, mate, it's, it's really good stuff from you. Um, mate, I want you to tell me a little bit, just lastly, um, about Dean Pay as a coach, because he's blown my mind what he's done for the club in the last two years. Now, he finished 12th position last two years, which doesn't sound terrific, but there's pretty well-publicised salary cap issues that have happened at the club in the last couple of years. Um, the squad probably hasn't been at its peak strength and there's been injuries to a few key players. But at the back end of seasons, when it looks like you have every right to fold and give in and sort of falter towards the back when finals aren't a realistic chance, Dean Tay's just got this instilled this belief in you guys to keep winning and keep turning up, and most importantly for your fans. Mate, he must be a pretty special coach in that sense. Yeah, I think he comes down to the person that he is, and he's just such a competitor, and he's got the runs on the board himself. So um, when Dino fires up or when he does, you know, get a bit deep into something, he encapsulates the whole group. And I think for us to see how much he got slammed in the media and um, and the wider rugby league community, you know, last year and, and the year before, um, it really did bring us together. So that was obviously mid-season, both years that that the heat really got turned up on him. And as a team, we really um, gathered together and, and come together and made a stance that, you know, we're, we're not going to let people talk about our coach like that. We're not going to let people talk about our club like that. And we're not going to let our performance reflect the opinions of, of people that aren't inside these four walls. So we did go out and finish the season really well. And, you know, that's great. It speaks a lot for our resiliency as a club and as a team. Um, and, and for Dino's ability to... You know, reach us on a bit of an emotional level and bring out that um, bring out that competitive side of when things are down, you don't give up, no matter where you're sitting on the ladder. But I think it's um, you know it it was really disappointing for a lot of us boys that had been there. Um, you know, particularly me coming in at an age, a young age, after the club had just had some really good success and been a bulldog supporter my whole life. To then you know finishing the bottom eight, it just it doesn't feel good. So to add the media scrutiny to that around Dino, it was like, well, you know what? We're disappointed in ourselves as it is. We're disappointed that our fans aren't, you know, out there cheering cheering on winning, us winning every week. Um, we know how passionate they are. We know how much they invest in the club. So we're disappointed enough as it is, and we're working our asses off every week. So for us to go out there and get slammed and say we're just there for a paycheck and, you know, we're week to week, we don't care and we're inconsistent, we did take it to heart. And I think this year um, that had been addressed and it was like, righto, guys, we're not going to leave it for the last half of the season. That's why it's so disappointing that the comp's finished now because I think um, the fruits, Dino was going to start picking the fruits that he that he planted from a few years ago. Now, as you said, the salary cap stuff was hanging around for a while and, I think Dino and, and the coaching staff and us as a club were really going to start to pick the fruits of the hard work we put in. Yeah, that's it, mate. No, I think I think you proved in the back end of those last two seasons, as I said, unfortunately it was only the back end of the seasons, but that it was more than a paycheck to you guys and you were pay, playing for each other, you were playing for Dean, you were play, paying for, <laughs> paying, playing for the, the fans out there. Um, and I think you showed that properly. So 
was really excited to see what was happening this year. Um, unfortunately, we've got the delay now, but hopefully we'll be back on in no time, mate. You had a stellar start to the year in those first two rounds. Um, so hopefully when things pick up again, the dogs will be firing and you will too. So Ads, cheers for joining the show, mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Ed, Timmy. Appreciate you, brother. Always right. you. Thanks, Ad. See you, mate. See you, mate.